0: We begin today with this piece on the pessimistic times we find ourselves in. No doubt we are passing through a period of grave financial depression, but the situation is not nearly as bad as some gloomy Jeremiah's would have us believe. There is always a relatively large number of pessimists in the community, folk who at the first hint of adversity lose heart and jettison faith. These people are always ready to believe the worst of their country, and they do not appear to realise that their dolorous croakings may have a very prejudicial effect towards Australia abroad. If we are to win through, there must be only one creed, implicit faith in ourselves and in Australia's future. As a level-headed businessman said the other day, we can never hope to right the position if everyone goes about saying we are ruined. All this is not to say that we must close our eyes to difficulties and dangers. Rather, it is to indicate that, like the Australian soldiers, we should be at our best in times of stress. This piece from the Glenelg Guardian for May 7, 1930. This was the news. (laughs) This Was The News is a fortnightly podcast that takes the news from this date many years ago and shares it with you in one recording. Pulling pieces from papers of the past, I'm Broderick Matthews, bringing you the not-so-current affairs. Welcome once again to This Was The News. All our stories today are coming from the year 1930, on this day, May 7th. We start off with some international news, and on the 20th anniversary of his accession to the throne, the British press were reported across Australian papers as saying the following about King George. He has seen more changes, political, social and scientific, than any of his predecessors on the throne. While other thrones have tottered and fallen, the British throne stands firmer than ever before in the confidence of democracy. Yes, it really was a celebration across Britain, and the evening news in Sydney had this to say about the celebrations. The King celebrated the 20th anniversary of his accession today by attending Newmarket races, the first time he has been to a race meeting since July 1928. He had a two-shilling tote ticket on Swammer, via Count horse, which lost. At Newmarket, the King looked remarkably well and chatted gaily with the members of his party. His Majesty entered the totalizer building and watched with great interest the working of the machine. This piqued my curiosity, folks, so I looked into what a totalizer building was, and I found out that the automatic totalizer is an Australian invention and is actually a machine for computing bets made on races. George Julius, a university-trained engineer who was working in WA, devised this machine, which automated the counting of tickets and the calculation of odds. The machine actually started life as a mechanical vote-counting machine sold to the US, but no buyers were found in Australia. So Julius searched for new applications for his calculator and found that his invention could be applied on the racetrack. So there you go, King George enjoying an Australian invention out at the races. Moving around the world now in more international news, this piece from Calcutta was reported in the recorder from Port Pirie, South Australia. Mahatma Gandhi, the Indian rebel who was arrested yesterday, will be kept prisoner during the pleasure of the government. It is generally conceded that the arrest at the present stage of Indian agitation is a sound tactical move. Sedition, law-breaking and outrage were rampant and the government had to use a firm hand to restore peace or it is likely that India would be lost to the empire. Yes, in the 1930s Mahatma Gandhi having great effect in India rebelling against the government. Meanwhile we move around the world to Germany and this piece on Berlin was reported in the Daily News from Perth. Dr. Nietzsche when operating on a young woman, decided that he might as well remove her appendix at the same time without asking the permission of his unconscious patient, who, after recovery, sued him for assault. The doctor was fined £50 in default 20 days imprisonment. The doctor, in evidence, said the removal of the appendix was desirable, but not absolutely necessary, It was impossible for a surgeon to hold up activities in the midst of an operation and ask the patient how much further he should proceed. An interesting decision there by the surgeon. While I'm in here for one thing, why don't I just grab the other? Not sure that that really flies. But let's move now from international news to something a bit closer to home and these news and notes were reported in the Shoalhaven Telegraph from New South Wales. Two men were fined £10 each at Albion Park Police Court last week for dynamiting fish in the Macquarie Rivulet. Meanwhile, the Commonwealth Government intends utilising defence equipment to provide shelter for the homeless, also to afford relief for the distressed and unemployed during the winter months. Finally, jobless men in Queensland are claimed to be earning up to a £100 a fortnight catching greyback beetles, which this season have done 25,000 pounds of damage to the cane crop. Up to two shillings per pound is paid for these beetles. Now these greyback beetles that were destroying the cane crop, you might also know as cane beetles. And we probably should have stuck with the 1930s method of getting rid of them, catching them by hand, because in the 1940s in Australia we introduced the cane toad to try and get rid of these beetles. But that was a complete and utter failure. The toad didn't eat the beetles and also continued to spread across Australia and is now a wide pest. So there you go. Sometimes the initial solutions are the best ones. We should have stuck with the 1930s way, getting jobless men in Queensland to catch them for two shillings a pound. Moving across the country now, and we hear from the Bernie advocate in Tasmania with these bits of cow-based news. Jessie, the world famous cow with a window in her stomach, has died in a barn in the State Agricultural College of Pennsylvania. Scientific studies with Jessie began with a test showing that samples from her stomach contained vitamin B, although all traces of this vitamin had been removed from her feed. By this experiment, it was determined absolutely that all cows manufacture vitamin B within their systems. And to set aside, I can confirm with modern day science that cattle and other ruminants do indeed produce vitamin B within their systems. They do it through the bacteria in their stomach, although they need a steady supply of cobalt to make it happen. But back to the news article. Jessie never showed any signs of being bothered by her window, which permitted scientists to see the processes in her stomach, and she submitted patiently to inspection by thousands of visitors. Meanwhile, in other cow news, with regard to recent paragraphs about twin cows, Mr D. Ferguson of Wagina, Tasmania, states that he has a cow which gave birth to twin heifer calves and both thrive splendidly. They've been in several times and are good milkers. Well, that's a bit of news to kick us off. Why don't we take a short break now? Yours for nine pence a day. A brand new latest model Underwood portable typewriter for office, home or travel. We'll do all your writing neatly, clearly, legibly, any place, any time. Quite easy to operate, sturdy and compact. Made in the world's largest typewriter factory and up to date in every particular. You can own it for nine pence a day only. Mail the coupon for details, Stott & Underwood Limited, PO Box 155B, Sydney. Here is a new way to breathe sweetness, to quick protection against a grave social offence. Maybreath is an antiseptic mouthwash in tablet form. Dissolve one in your mouth, that's all. Instantly, your breath is purified, made fresh and sweet as the Maytime. Not a perfume to cry out an effort at concealment. Not a liquid that can be used only in your home. A newly found scientific method that millions are adopting. It combats all odours, whether coming from the mouth or stomach, from any cause whatever. May Breath, a new solution of the bad breath problem that millions are adopting. One shilling at All Chemists. Welcome back to the News Now as we're reporting from May 7, 1930. This piece on the influenza germ appeared in the Daily News from Perth, Western Australia. Although every possible means of publicity has been enrolled to instruct people not only how to avoid infection, but what to do if they should take influenza, it claims its victims every year just the same. The main reasons for this are two in number first the pursuit of pleasure and second a mistaken idea of one's own indispensability. I put the pursuit of pleasure first because I think it produces the greater number of cases but it is run fairly close by the second. The insatiable desire for pleasure warps the judgment of many of those already infected so that rather than forgo their own amusement and give up a dance, dinner or theatre engagement, they will persist in keeping these apparently indifferent to the fact that they are thereby spreading the disease and even death around them. A few folks listening might be able to relate to that right now. Skipping a dance, dinner or theatre to stop spreading disease. Let's continue the article. The second class consists of those professional and business men and women who pride themselves on what they like to think is great conscientiousness in keeping business appointments. This, no doubt, is a more laudable excuse, but it is an equally dangerous one for the sufferer and those with whom he comes in contact. Until people realise their responsibilities to others as well as themselves, their thoughtless acts will inevitably spread this fatal germ. Yes, one could say almost we're all in this together as we stop the spread of the influenza. Let's continue reading. Having once contracted the disease, there is no use in trying to fight against it unaided by going about your daily tasks. The little flu microbe will win, nine times out of ten. The man or woman who tries to fight influenza is a fool. Go to bed and send for the doctor. Rest Warmth, a light diet and a large stock of patients are, from the patient's point of view, the main essentials indicated. But do not forget the factor of isolation, which is of so much importance to the health of your neighbour. Remember also, he who scorns his enemy courts defeat. Influenza is a powerful enemy. What great health advice there from 1930, folks. Stop going out and having fun. Stay at home. Isolate. Isolate. And uh, the factor of isolation is of so much importance to the health of your neighbour. Look after everyone out there, folks, and uh, take the advice from news long ago. Let's move on to some other interesting news from the 1930s. This piece of whale spotting from the air came in the Kadena and Wallaroo Times from South Australia. Airplanes have at various times been employed on strange missions, and amongst the most novel must surely be included the task of scouting for whales. Apparently, however, one of the big problems of the whaling industry is the way in which their quarry tend to disappear from one feeding ground and reappear in another. The difficulty has now been overcome successfully by the use of aircraft, and early each morning, an aeroplane, manned by a pilot and skilled observer, takes off. Whales even a good distance under the water can be seen from an aeroplane, just as submarines were seen during the war. The airman thus has a great advantage over the ordinary ship's observer, who is perched in a barrel on the masts of the whale catcher. Immediately, the airman sights a school of whales, he broadcasts the news by radio, giving directions as to the latitude and longitude. These are sent in the form of a code to keep the precious information from rivals. Little time is lost when such a message arrives before the whale catcher, fast and efficient steam-driven vessels, set off after the whales. And thus, within a day or two, they capture more whales than they could in the past have caught in as many weeks. Yes, it feels like a bit of an unfair advantage here, doesn't it, using the aeroplanes to spot the whales for whaling? If we fast forward to the present day, we do still use planes to hunt for whales, but now it's for genuine scientific research or just enjoyment of these magnificent creatures, which I think is a far nobler pursuit. Let's move on to some different news now from the Daily News in Perth again. Mr P.F. Watson, London and continental buyer for a Melbourne firm who passed through Fremantle yesterday on the ship Maloya ascribed Europe's growing army of unemployed to the expansion of mechanical devices. England's population has doubled in the last century, he said, and yet in proportion to the increase, less and less labour is required, as new labour-saving devices and machinery come out every day. The manual telephones in London and the provinces are to be made automatic, and 10,000 less operators will be required. Ticket selling clerks on the tube railways are now unnecessary, having been replaced by automatic coin-in-the-slot machines. One buys baskets of fruit on the railways from mechanical salesmen. Automatic bookkeeping in offices and automatic ice-making machines in homes are now universal. As you read an article like this from 1930, it makes you wonder why any of us have jobs now and it's not all just automated. The piece continues on. Not a dozen legitimate theatres are paying in London proper. The mechanical movies and talkies have replaced them. And now we have reported from Berlin the smellies, where one can smell the fragrance of flowers projected onto the screen. Don't go to the smellies when they are showing Egyptian scenes with camels, though, concluded Mr Watson. Well... What technological advances we had back in the 1930s. We've moved from silent movies to talkies, and straight from talkies into the smellies. Speaking of talkies, the following are coming up in Grafton, according to the Daily Examiner. The desire to present to its patrons something distinctly different in the field of high-class entertainment is the constant effort of every progressive theatre. Therefore, the management of the Garden Theatre takes much pride and a full measure of pride in offering the Fox Movie Tone production, Romance of Rio Grande, as the feature attraction tonight. The cast is headed by Warner Baxter, who has come to be one of the leading artists of the talking screen. The story is a picturesque outdoor romance of old Mexico. Including the list of short subjects which will be shown at the Garden Theatre tonight is the first of a series of cartoons featuring Mickey the Mouse. These have always been a big draw in Sydney and many consider them the spice of the program. Well, folks, 1930s Mickey the Mouse making his debut in Grafton. Let's take a short break now. and When we come back, it'll be time for Sports and Games. <music> nippy nights are with us. If you're wanting a pair of nice snowy white pure wool Australian blankets, or maybe a nice down quilt, you cannot do better than come and see us. A very fine range of teddy bear blankets, beautiful assortment of plain and striped flannelettes, lullaby flannelette and plain ripple cloths. An excellent assortment of dress flannels, dress tweeds, jersey cloths, wool shings. For all your winter wants, come and see us at Woodhills Limited, the house for service and quality. Phone 4, Naura. That's phone 4. Build a better, more substantial, more attractive home. One that is comfortable in all weathers and as long-lasting as brick or stone. Build it with Wanderlich Durabestus asbestos cement building sheets. You can use these sheets for interior walls, exterior walls, partitions, plain ceilings, gable fillings and eaves linings. Manufactured from asbestos fibre and cement, compressed to a rock-like hardness. Duribastus sheets are cheaper than timber linings, as easy to cut and nail, cannot warp, flake, burn or rot. They're immune against white ants, borers and rodents. They need not be painted and do not deteriorate. Duribastus, asbestos cement building sheets, stocked by your local supplier of building materials. We're nearing the end of the news for May 7, 1930, but before we do, let's hear from the world of sport. This piece on big cricket is found in the Kadena and Wallaroo Times of South Australia. After an excellent exhibition in the field, V.Y. Richardson, who is leading the Australians in the match against England at Leicester, compiled a century in an aggressive innings, which included two sixes. With Bradman, the brilliant South Australian completely changed the aspect of the game after several of the leading Australian batsmen have failed. Although Richardson went in 90 minutes after the New South Welshman, he was first to reach the 100. Bradman was unusually slow but remained unconquered for 185 runs when stumps were drawn on account of rain. Yes, back in 1930, they're hearing stories of the early, but already very successful, Don Bradman. And if sports aren't your thing, how about this game of Mother Goose Guesses, reported in the children's section of the Canberra Times. Did you ever play Mother Goose Guesses? One child thinks of a Mother Goose character and verse which she wants to imitate. She must not say anything, but she goes through all the motions and expressions that belong to the person in the verse she has chosen. The other children try to guess the character she is representing. For instance, Little Boy Blue will make-believe blow a horn, chase the cows out of the corn, and so on. Mistress Mary will tend her flowers. Or, if you choose to play you a Little Jack Horner, you will pretend that you are eating a pie and you must look pleased and surprised when you pull out a plum. The players must not speak or laugh while they are acting out the verse or they lose their turn. Well, that sounds like a fun game to play, folks. If you've got children stuck up at home, why not try Mother Goose Guesses? Speaking of mothers, it is, of course, Mother's Day this Sunday, so I thought it would be fitting to end with this piece on Mother's Day itself from the Mount Barker and Denmark record in Albany, WA. It is now a recognised custom to observe the second Sunday in May as a day of special remembrance of Mother. Quite unostentatiously, the day comes in for a general observance throughout Australia, references being made from the various pulpits and special articles appearing in the press. The white flower is worn as an emblem, and men and women are called upon to pay some special tribute to their mother by sending her a letter or gift of remembrance or in performing some act of service in memory of her. The day is a reminder that the mothers of men are not merely the objects of drudgery in the home. And that's a good reminder for me to say a happy Mother's Day to my mum. Hope she's not uh, feeling the drudgery in the home. And I wish a happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there. As we close the paper on that Mother's Day story, we come to the end of the news for this week. For May 7, 1930, this was the news. This Was The News is a podcast spoken and edited by Broderick Matthews. All source material is taken from the reference newspapers and found online through the National Library of Australia's Trove website. Links to each of the articles mentioned today can be found in the show notes. The theme music is from Beethoven's Symphony No. 6 and sourced under public domain from newsopen.org. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to subscribe and review it on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcasting app. This Was The News can be followed on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and any email correspondence should be sent to thiswasthenews at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The next episode will be out in a fortnight, released on Thursday, 21 May. I'm Broderick Matthews, and this was The News.